I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I would like to welcome all of you to From My Kitchen Table today. For me, it's a very, very special day. I don't want to belittle all of the people that I feature on the podcast because for me, it is an honor for whoever has agreed to be a guest and tell their story um, as part of From My Kitchen Table. But there are people that come into our lives and stay for a very long time. And our, it just brings tears to my eyes. And um, our guest, my guest today is one of those very, very special people. And her name is Jill Schwartz. And Jill and I have known each other just about since the beginning of the time that both of us entered the industry, which was 43 or so years ago. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to read her bio and then I'm going to introduce you to her and let her tell you her story. Because one thing I do know about Jill is she's so incredibly talented and um, well-spoken that we could listen to her until tomorrow morning. So let's get started. I'll read the bio. I always do. I say it in every podcast because it's so very important to me that I get it right and that I don't leave out something that these very talented, accomplished women have done in their lives. Jill Schwartz is the founder of Elements by Jill Schwartz, now in its 39th year of business, her road has taken many turns and paths. She is a collector and a designer of many things, always incorporating the vintage in a refreshing way that adds an element of surprise to her work. I am a maximalist, she says, a heart, and so in love with all the little things that I collect. They are my treasures. I cannot help myself from falling in love with all the little bits and bobs of trims and vintage ribbons and sequins, and metal stampings and semi-precious stones and tiny glass pieces and rhinestones and vintage buttons and colors that I used to create my work. Layering them and meshing them so that all those little precious parts shine together and create a balance, a nostalgia, a textural dance that takes on its own personality and style is my thrill. 
My work exudes a timelessness that straddles both the modern and the vintage world. It is earthy yet blingy, it's classic yet boho, it's mid-century yet antique, it's runway or everyday. One thing's for sure, it takes on a personality of its own and emits a feeling that makes my tribe want it. Why do they want it, you ask? They want it for its style and because it makes them feel special. To wear it, it makes them shine. To shine makes them feel beautiful and attractive and stylish. And that, of course, gives them self-confidence and allows them to express themselves to the world as the unique being they are. That little necklace or earring or bracelet or pin makes them feel good. With that little piece, they have a whole lot of options. They can change the look or mood of an outfit just by adding it. They can save it for a special occasion when they want to shine wildly, or they can wear it every day. So it gives them that little extra sparkle that brightens their faces and becomes part of them. There's something magical that happens when the combination of that person and my piece connect. I'm still there, but it takes on something different that is really part of them now. And it is so true. Jill has such a magic touch. And Jill, thank you for being my guest on From My Kitchen Table. I love that you're here. I love you. I love our history. And I want our audience to know all about you. So start wherever you like. Well, hi, Joe. It is exciting for me to be here. It is like just a great conversation with an old friend. And um, wow, what you've done for me over the years has been unbelievable. Um, I am lucky that I was um, one of the, I was in your book when you first came out with Where Women Create and um, <laughs> the book. And then when it became a magazine, I was in that issue. So, and I've been there many times and um, that just makes me, my heart go bitter patter. Um, so what to tell you, um, I started, um, designing when I was, well, making jewelry, basically, when I was in college. Um, but that's maybe actually earlier than that. But as a child, I, um, this is a story that I'm kind of, people always know. I wanted pierced ears and my parents wouldn't let me get pierced ears. And um, I started gluing them to my to my gluing little pearls to my ears. Um, I wanted them so bad and my parents wouldn't let me. And I think that is it took till I was 13 and lots of negotiation, <laughs> but I finally did get them. And my dad said my personality changed completely. So I think it was that withholding of something I wanted so deeply that um, was the thing that created me to want to be a jewelry designer. Um, but I'm much more than a jewelry designer. I, I feel like my mom was um, an antique dealer and an interior designer, and my dad was a graphic designer. So, and we always had art in my house. And um, I just grew up with like, design around me and beauty and vintage. Um, and I would go with my mom to uh, Brimfield, which like was heaven for me to be outside and to be amongst 
the um, antiques was just amazing. Um, also, when I was a little kid, um, my mom had an antique business and her, it was called Colored Air. Um, and we would go every morning um, that she was setting up. So I'm used to like the whole trade show thing that happened <laughs> with her as a kid. Um, I even had my own table um, where we would bring, my brother and I would like sell the stuff we got. Um, one of the things that I think that when I think about my work and what I'm seeing lately mostly is I'm all about creating a mood and um, whether I do it in whatever medium it is, whether it's creating a space, a trade show booth, getting dressed, making jewelry, I've done photo albums, I've done um, picture frames, um, what else, uh, paperweights, clocks, um, it kind of goes on and on, Christmas ornaments, hair accessories, um, it's all about me collecting the parts and falling in love with all those little pieces and then combining them in a way that makes a whole new thing that wasn't there before. Um, and a lot of times I do it while everything's in front of me and I don't really know what it's gonna look like until all the pieces are there and it starts creating a form as I combine them. So that's mostly how I work. You were going to the antique shows with your mom and you were always involved, but what was the very first time you were out on your own at, was it a trade show? Was it an antique show? Was it, you know, where were you when you started selling your jewelry with your name on it? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I was um, in graduate school at Pratt studying graphic design. And in order to make ends meet, I um, was also waitressing. And then I had been with the year before that or right before that I had been in Europe and I was traveling through Europe and I met this woman from Holland and she taught me how to make beaded earrings and she made me promise I wouldn't tell anybody <laughs> how to do this and it was like the night I had been traveling for a year and it was the night before I left that she taught me and I practically got off the plane after being away for a year and ran I, like I feel like I got off the plane and went to the jewelry district to get beads. Um, and maybe it was the next day, but it felt like it was right from the plane. And I was obsessed. I mean, I was making these beaded earrings and I always felt like they were a little like hippie. Um, and I didn't want them to be hippie. I wanted them to be a stylish, a stylish beaded earring, which um, may I say that there's a lot of them now that exist that are beautiful. And I look and I'm like, wow. Um, so that's like where um, I first started making them. And my mom at the time was a therapist and going to all these 
She was into new age stuff and she would go to all these meetings and she would bring my jewelry with her and she'd sell it. <laughs> um, so that was one of the places I started. And then I'd also be wearing it while I was waitressing. And again, I'd sell it to people who I was waiting on, which was hilarious. Um, so that is how I came into doing that. Um, I love the fact that your mom supported you. I think that's amazing. And I, we've been talking about lots of um, ways that uh, beginning entrepreneurs or small entrepreneurs can help themselves sell their wares, right? And so those are two absolutely perfect examples. The fact that you wore them while you were waiting tables and sold them right there, I think is brilliant. So what was the first official place or event that you set up a booth and you were like, you were legit? Well, probably the, it was probably not a trade show that I was legit. I went in, um, I, my cousin who had studied with Ted Mullen, um, and I decided we were going to form this jewelry company. And my, when I showed up at the restaurant one day, it had closed and I was oh. like, oh, this is kind of crazy. And I decided that if I could sell as much as I was making at the um, restaurant that I could then continue doing jewelry and never get another job. Well, you know, that, like that was a little funny thinking because, you know, selling the jewelry, there's parts, there's time, all that wasn't considered, but I was just taking a number. So like for all you people who are out there thinking about business, it wasn't the best business thing, but it did get me out there. Um, and I would just go to stores I thought that I could sell and that were not a big leap for me. And I started, so I started selling. I also sold on the streets of New York and I'd set up on sidewalks and there were like an, in Soho, um, there were all these um, Africans who would be selling too. And they kind of took me under their wing. And when the cops would come, you'd have to leave and scatter because you weren't allowed to be on the street. Um, and they were really embraced me, which was, wonderful that they helped me there. Um, my big, big break was there used to be a store called Reminiscence in New York City. And it was a big, well-known store that was very trendy at the time. Um, and I went in and I showed my work to this buyer and I had probably 30 earrings or something like that. And she said, okay, I'm gonna turn over the ones that I don't want. And she turned over like two. <laughs> and I had like this huge order from, you know, it was like like probably six to $9,000. And that was my big break. Um, she ended up being a buyer at Barney's um, when later on. So I like, she gave me the confidence that what I was doing was, um, was worthy. Um, 
So then my next thing was I went to trade shows, but I remember going and checking them out and feeling, and I heard you have a conversation with Curly Girl um, <laughs> about how she didn't know anything about a trade show. So we, we, we um, my mom and I got into the trade show and we're walking around and I just, I think I like wanted to cry. I was so intimidated. Um, I just like couldn't even believe that I could put myself in there and how was I going to do it? But I, um, I signed up and the next time I was doing a trade show and I think I shared my first booth with somebody who was doing safety pin jewelry. And, um, one of the things, and I think this is like really important and I want to talk about that and interrupt me if I'm like talking too much. <laughs> no, I will for sure, but no, you're not talking too much. These are all the years I've known you. These are some stories that I don't know. So this is great. Okay, good. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so we shared. So one of the things that I think is like really important about me and if you've come to trade shows, that you've known. My, I have a background in um, design and environmental analysis slash interior design. I have a background in graphics and, um, and then I have all the other stuff that my parents have thrown in in my <laughs> life. My dad being an art collector, I grew up with Jim Dines and Gottlieb's and Rauschenberg's in my house. I mean, I've always been around art. And my dad was a, an amazing um, graphic designer who also helped me. So both my parents were instrumental. Um, but one of the things that um, was really important in my life was that my, and now I'm going a little off topic, but I'm going here. Okay, um, You're, we're right there with you the okay. whole way. <laughs> was that um, when I was a little girl, when it was my birthday, I would go to, the night before my birthday, I would go to sleep and my parents would think I was asleep and they would come into my room and they would do some art project that was like something that would be so exciting when I woke up that I knew it was my birthday. <laughs> and, um, I knew they were in my room and I liked surprises. So I really didn't know what they were doing, but I was so excited that they were creating something for me. I'd finally fall asleep. And then when I'd wake up on my birthday, there was a thing, whether it be, uh, there was once I woke up and the door was covered in newspaper and there was just a, with like some design all over the newspaper and there was a little like, door on the bottom for me to get out it was um, <laughs> there were uh there was a treasure hunt that went in a ticker tape thing all the way down my stairs into all different rooms um there was always some amazing thing um and I have carried that tradition into my family oh nice and um my, so has my little, my littlest person who's 25, not so little, but he's an illustrator and he took on the celebration thing. So I'm seeing that what I, what I like to do and what that 
created for me was I like to create a mood and kind of put you in a space that is different than anything else out there and makes it special. And so um, what I had decided, and now that we're going back to trade shows, <laughs> is that um, okay. <laughs> there is a linear thing here. Of course. <laughs> but I didn't want to be like anybody else. I wanted to do something that made me stand out. Me being the maximalist and me being knowing that I always use vintage, I created, I would create these wild um, environments for you to come into. Um, and that's kind of what people know me for more than anything, I think, is my display. Um, so that was, I think, my first trade show was it was all white foam core and then we had dryer hose that was like winding through it was kind of insane <laughs> um and then all the you know and i would i would build you know at each trade show i would build different things i think i built stonehenge once because i did this like archaeological line and there was always a theme and the theme would relate to what what I created in my jewelry or frames or whatever translated into my booth display. So I wish I wish the audience. Do you have pictures of all those booths? I have pictures of a lot of the booths. Yeah, yeah I we should we should do a feature in where women create on all the booths you've created over the years because it's it is a shame that the public does not get to see the what you've created in your booth space because like you say it's you walk in there and it's an entire environment i mean everybody loves to go in your booth and i'm sure i mean i know at the trade shows sarah and i would come back over and over and over again because there's so much to see right that you come one time and you get focused on when you were doing scrapbooks for example right and then you come back later in the afternoon and it would be the jewelry that we'd focus on and do that whole thing. I would love for the for our uh, readers in the magazine and the listeners on the podcast to be able to see what you've created because it was truly magical. Thank you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I would love to do that. I have to go deep into like I know I have a lot of the recent ones, but um, you know, and that's and that's changed. Um, but yeah, I love to, that's always like in the background. Um, and you know, that uh, it's, a, and I design those in very similar ways to my jewelry, which is interesting. Um, you know, right now, what's super pertinent for me is I close on a space tomorrow um, that I'm buying, eek. Um, <laughs> But I get to create an environment again. Um, that's my studio. So pretty pertinent that I'm here for where women create. <laughs> um, and what, what's interesting is it's making me get re in touch with how much I like to do that and my process. Um, and uh, it's not going to be anything like my studio 
is I've been in the same studio for 23 years. Oh my God. Uh, so it's, it's, and it's very vintage. I created, as you can see, if you go back to the issues. Um, <laughs> yes, I love your studio. I love it too. And it's going to be really hard to leave, but I am doing it. It's what I'm doing is totally different. I had built in, and if you look at the book, if you look at maybe not the book, but yeah, the book. When you first come into my studio, I had created, taken all these vintage parts and um, like newel posts and like, um, I forgot the word for it. So I took newel posts and porch railing and I collected all these vintage cabinets and I created this um, environment in my studio that was the very vintage um, feel. And you come in there and there's like a very vintage door and there's molding and I got vintage Wayne Scott. So all I, that's what I did there. And it also was very permanent. So the arrangement was very permanent. I'm approaching my new space in a very different way. Um, my new space is a, almost 2000 square feet. And what I want is adaptability. Um, and so I, and it's also going to be much more modern. So I want to like juxtapose the modern and the vintage, but I'm going to have these rolling screens um, that um, actually were created, I think, because of COVID, which is interesting, but there are these black screens on wheels that are plexi, and I'm going to do like this transfer onto all of them, which could change all the time. But I'll be able to open up and close a room if I want to make it retail bigger, if I want to, whatever I want to do, it will enable me to um, be adaptable. And um, so my, I'm real, that's my most exciting little piece in my <laughs> new, um, in my new uh, space. But what I'm realizing is how much I love to conjure in my head um, what that this is going to be and what's that going to be and and you know bringing in the tile or bringing in the glass door or bringing in all the different elements um, so that I create a whole and I never really know what it's going to look like until it's there so it's a little nerve-wracking but it also, because it's so permanent with the space, but it's also gets me so excited because it's like finding that little piece of metal that I love or that little lace trim that I like or the embroidery piece or it's all, or the buttons. It's the same thing of collecting all these things and not really knowing how it's going to look until it's done. Well, what is amazing about you and when you do all of that is that um, a lot of things our audience may not know is one, your event that you put on in Chelsea Market for several years at Christmas time, which you always, the whole space was decorated to the max with all of those people, which you should talk about because I think working with other um, 
designers and, and creatives and bringing them all together because of your organizational skills oh. is <laughs> such a gift. But the one thing I remember the most, and I think we were in Hudson, New York, if I'm not mistaken, and I was walking down the street and I walked by this store window and I stopped and I thought, oh my hell, this is so amazing. And then I saw you carrying this great big canvas across the store window and you were decorating for a pop-up, right? Yep, yep. yep. And so those kinds of things, I mean, you have found a way to sell your wares in the most amazing spaces that I have ever seen anyone do, truly. Oh, that's so nice of you. Oh, Thank you. Very honest, because I think if you would just talk for just a minute, you don't have to talk about it for a long time, because with COVID, everything changed. But the way you put together your group of artists at, Chelsea, at your Chelsea Christmas Market, and it went, wasn't it for a month, two weeks or a month or it something? Depended. I did it for 13 years. Um, That was a whole funny story how that came to be. But um. Yeah, I did it for 13 years. I had about 6,000 square feet. Um, and it was before, there was no word for pop-up at the time. <laughs> there were craft shows. Um, and, you know, that was like the closest thing to pop-up markets at the time. But I loved Chelsea Market. And um, I thought it had such a an amazing feeling about it it like was other worldly it took an old oreo factory and it it just had a certain spark that um i wanted to be part of and there was this little um there was a big space that i saw empty for a while um and i kept walking through and then i went to security and um they got me in touch with this guy and I talked to him for three years. <laughs> my idea was that I wanted to create something that wasn't a craft show that was there and gone because I, I like when something isn't so permanent. I think it creates, and it's interesting because as I say that having my space be adjustable mm -hmm. is of the same elk, so to speak. Um, but I, I wanted this thing that was here and gone that, that would be made up of that. Not, I thought that craft shows were a little, um, not stylish. They didn't, they were all these tents. I wanted to create a store with lots of excitement with a lot of people, um, of, of things that I thought were great product. Um, and so after three years of talking, he calls me up, this guy finally, and says, do you want the space? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I started doing this thing called Jingle. Um, and it was a Christmas extravaganza. And I liked, um, and I got, it was my place of creating an exciting experience within an exciting building that also had an exciting experience. And one of the things that I did um, was I would bring in performance art because I wanted it to, I wanted it to not only be beautiful, but I wanted it, I wanted people to be surprised. And I, I talk about the element of surprise because there's something so delightful 
about being tickled with something <laughs> that's unexpected. And so at the time there were no, um, there were no um, LED lights and I had a dancer come in and I had her plugged in with lights all over her. That was my one thing. She could do whatever she wanted to do, but she had to be lit with Christmas lights and they had to be plugged in. So she would walk through this 6,000 square foot space, dance, move, do whatever. And she created what it evolved over, it evolved over the years, but it was, again, that was another piece like taking performance art and a visual and creating like crazy Christmas experience that people had to come into. It was fabulous. Okay. So did it run all of December? Did it run four weeks? How long did it actually run it during? what year it was. Sometimes they'd give it to me for two, two weeks. Sometimes they'd give it to me for a week. Um, people started loving the idea of pop-ups at the time. And that was kind of the end of me being an original because there were a million other people coming in and being competitive. And, uh, you know, so it kind of went by the wayside. Um, and then I did it in Hudson the year that you ran into me. <laughs> you did it with me. What? When you were introducing Where Women Create or something, you you came and were part of it. One, Do you remember? I do. I do remember. Yeah. 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 I mean, I always, well, I would follow you around like a puppy dog wherever you went because I think you're brilliant. And, and what I love about you is that you can take your concept of making your jewelry and be creative and you can expand it exponentially. And then you're secure enough in yourself and giving enough to share it with other people like at Jingle and in Hudson and all those different kinds of places. And that is a gift because not everybody does what you do, Jill. I mean, there are lots of talented people out there in their, in their own category, but very few are as giving and as open and as honest and as sharing as you are. I hope you realize what a gift you are to so many people who know and love you. It's just been amazing. Can I cry? <laughs> I do all the time. But I don't have a creative phone in my body. I mean, I have to enjoy all the creativity through all of you, which is why it's I have the I created the perfect job for me in a in a way that I got to enjoy everything you all do and let you be who you are and tell your stories who you are. But I know what a gift it is to me. So I know what a gift it is to all those people out there who want to be you and like you and be where you are and do what you do and everything. So COVID, it's like you said with, with Jingle, you know, you do something new and it's really unusual and then everybody jumps on the bandwagon. And so because you're as creative as you are, you move on to the next thing, right? So, <laughs> and then COVID, you know, hurt us all in ways that we'll never understand. And um, so I know that you are selling online now, right? I am. Yep. I'm selling mostly online. 
Um, I sell to stores, but uh, yeah, elementsteelsports.com. Um, there's a retail site. And I think if you're where, if you go in through Where Women Create, you get a percentage. Oh, nice. Thank off. you. <laughs> well, I, I partner with you guys. So, <laughs> you're um, the best. You know, for anyone who's listening, you can go there and get a percentage off. Um, I don't remember the percentage, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, I don't know either. <laughs> but yeah, so I sell online. And are you asking me about how COVID changed things? Right. And what you're planning for the future. So you, you're selling online. You have your new studio space that you're going to sell out of, I assume. Is that I true? Am. Right. I am. Um, I am. So COVID totally changed everything. I don't get to do my trade show thing um and i i'll see if i do trade shows again which is a missing i'm missing all the people that I, there's so many women like you and like that that you have these friendships with and they really only exist when you're in a trade show and it's like like-minded people that you connect and you get to process different things or and you know your world is so similar um i miss that part i've done a few things like art party central which was an online thing um it still is i think where they would have guests um artists like me and other people present themselves online and the way that i got to do my environment was I decided that if I'm ever going to be either online visually um, in a podcast, not a podcast, a visual thing, that I need to create a visual that looks like what I do. So it did allow me to um, design and create a space. It was mini. Um, I'm not that comfortable on camera. And <laughs> really me either. <laughs> I, I just don't, you know, and also, I mean, it's interesting as you get older, because I've been doing this for so long, it's hard to be older and be on camera. Maybe you don't feel that way, but oh, you know, really being a younger person, I've changed so much and, you know, I'm no longer the, you know, I don't you don't want a close up of my ear for for <laughs> to see what an earring looks like. So it's <laughs> I never wear necklaces anymore because I don't want anyone to look at my neck. No, right? I mean <laughs> unless they're really long and you can wear a turtleneck because oh yeah, this aging thing uh, takes on a whole new perspective when. When somebody says we're doing live video, I just want to throw up in the bathroom. I feel the same way. I'm just like live. Like, do we have to? Um, but I, but I think that actually is an interesting thing for us to talk about because I think when you've been in fashion, um, which in a way I have with jewelry, oh, um, or or not, you know, known, it's very. Um, you know, as the years go by, how do you stay relevant? Like, how do you stay relevant? And, um, you know, I often feel like I has been. <laughs> you know, 
Oh, Jill, you are at the front of the parade. Do not ever feel like a husband, but I, I get you do start to worry, right? You, I, there's a lot of self-doubt sometimes when I feature, when you're creating jewelry for young people or I'm like featuring them in the magazine, I think, oh my, I wonder how they look at me, right? Because I could, in many instances, I could be their grandmother. Likewise, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and that's what and that's so um you know being remaining relevant is a big is a big issue uh you know I created this line when I was started when I was 25 um and you know it's it it does have that vintage quality and I always have to bring that like that's the theme that will always go through my work. Even when I do modern, I'm doing, I bring in the vintage. Um, and when vintage is it in, how do you make it relevant? How do you make what you're doing relevant? Um, and, you know, sometimes I don't really want people to see me now. <laughs> it's really weird because I feel like, oh, they're going to realize I'm older. And like, maybe I won't be relevant anymore so um you know okay so I have to tell you this story because because this is the way I feel about young people wearing your jewelry right because you love what you love and you are so good at it and you create you know it's it's timeless and ageless and the reason I know this is because I was I have a granddaughter who's uh, 17 years old and, um, you know, she's just like every granddaughter that you dream of. She's a brilliant student and, and does all her drill team and all that kind of stuff. And we were at a big event the other night and Olivia walked up to me and she goes, Grammy. And I said, what? And she goes, we have on matching tennis shoes. <laughs> I said, are you embarrassed? And she goes, no, I'm so happy my Grammy is like, she knows what's what's in right and so that's exactly what your jewelry is they're buying your jewelry because they love it and it just happens to be because you're so good at it you're always relevant you have oh, you know thank good you. taste and fun and um different is always relevant i don't care who you are well i try but you know i did have someone say to me well you know you're not the trendiest line and i'm like well that's okay i mean what i do know is that I, my jewelry is timeless. I can, yes. I can, there are pieces that I have in there that um, in, on the web that are 35 years old and they still look great. Um, I pulled out some things the other day and I'm like, oh, I have to redesign this earring because this was a great piece. And, you know, I don't have the parts for it, but um let, let's see what I can create that's like that so I'm often going back and looking at some of the things that I loved and they they I do pull them out and they are relevant which is really um I, it says a lot I'm happy that people are still wearing their jewelry 30 years later 35 years later I still wear your jewelry and I know Sarah does well, that's so, good. Yay. Yeah. No, I love your jewelry. Okay. So that I think because our audience, what I know about our audience 
too is that they love collections and they love the secrets of how you store things so when you're talking about i went in and i pulled out a piece that i that i designed a while ago and thought i need to redesign it so does that mean that you have this very organized drawer of all your past pieces or are they all in a big jewelry box i mean how do you go back and find a piece what does that look like exactly well um it depends i have no no i'm not all organized actually two things i'm organized because my production manager from years ago took every one of my pieces and stored them in in boxes i have so much stuff because i did so many different things so i have one of all those things oh. um then there's things that i have in boxes that like i'll go into to clean out or um and i'll come across them and that's how i find them again um but it's you know also in cleaning out my studio like i'm i'm moving from a very big space to a smaller space so i'm downsizing and i i probably happens on a regular basis anyway that i'm going to make a piece and i'm and we can't find that one little part and i start looking every day in my life is a scavenger hunt <laughs> And it, I love it and I hate it because I get so sidetracked by all those little parts as I'm digging in those boxes, looking for that piece that I need. I'm like, oh, there's that. I need that for that. And oh, I didn't know I had that piece. I need to make something with that piece. So my tables are filled with stuff that I never get to because I pulled out the piece because it was like, oh, and uh, what's interesting is since COVID, um, I pretty much have decided, you know, I don't have a lot of employees anymore, which in a way I like, um, because I have complete control over everything. And what I have so many vintage parts that I've been collecting for 40 years that I am not really buying much. Um, to augment what I have. I really believe that I can use what I have. And it's, you know, even if I bought it new 30 years ago, it's vintage now, right? Yes, um, actually it is. We are. 20, years. 20 years is considered vintage. <laughs> so I have so many parts that I could design forever. Um, I just can design forever with what I have. And what I've also decided is things become limited editions because sometimes I run out of a part and then it needs to be replaced with something else. And it, it's interesting how that piece morphs in, in doing that. Um, so those are the, with COVID, that, that's something that I decided. And I like it also because I'm now, you know, I, I've always been upcycled, but I'm really upcycled now where I, you know, like now you're taking it to an art form. <laughs> it's good for the environment. I'm not buying a lot of new things. Um, it's good for my finances. I'm not buying a lot of new things. <laughs> it's all on my shelves. And, um, you know, that's, that's how it's been working lately since COVID. 
Okay, so here's a question. The reason I'm asking these questions is because we've been doing a lot of features on collections because people in our industry are collectors, right, of all different kinds of things. And one of the really interesting questions that came up was, what kind of units or um, do you store your collections in? So the reason I ask is some people say, oh, it has to be clear. I have to be able to see in it so that I can just look at the outside of the box and know what kinds of uh, items are in there. And some people say, oh, I want all of mine in cigar boxes so that I can't see what's inside and so that the shelf looks beautiful. And every time I open the box, it's a surprise. <laughs> Interesting. <No. laughs> Where are you in that? In well, that ideally, I would like to have the space look beautiful, <laughs> but the reality isn't that way. Um, the way that I store all my parts is there's different sections, and they're all in these cardboard boxes on like steel shelving, and there's like a, a casting section. Um, and on the outside are most of the parts, um, but there's so many parts. Then I have like um, anything that's a bead or a cabochon or, and, and that goes by color or rhinestones so that the, each box is by color. Then I have semi-precious stones and that's like by color. Um, so, you know, you're digging, when I talk about digging through boxes, it's, I don't know exactly what's in there. It's too, it's a, it's a really hard thing to catalog everything that you have all the time. Uh, the little teeny things go in these clear drawers, but they're on the outside. And then I have like flowers, velvet flowers or little flowers or things with like ribbons. Those go by color too. Um, so, and those are mostly out to, to be seen in spools, but I, so that's pretty much how it works. Um, I would love it. That's been a big, like, how do I make my studio look beautiful without these boxes aren't pretty. They're not pretty. <laughs> um, so how do I make it work so that it looks good? You know, I do, I, I have grand illusions of becoming, not only doing jewelry, but also selling my parts. Um, I do, I have, a, I have a little Etsy store called Vintage Groove JS, um, which it's really hard to stay on top of all this website stuff. And that's the, the last place I go, but I'm, I have so many different parts. Um, I also like have frame backs that I used to do and like these frame bases that I used to paint and work on. I have metal bases for my paperweights. I have clock bases, I have clock parts. So I'm, I'm actually, trying to um, get rid of most of them and sell them because I don't have space for everything. But there's also another place I just want to hold on to them in, in case I do classes, in case I want to have a store. But I think eventually I will 
be selling parts. And I do have people coming in who are like, I had someone pop in my studio the other day and she's like, oh, I'm so excited you're open. Like I'm using this stuff for ceramics and I need those frames, metal frame things. And, you know, she came in and I get excited to help people with their project. So that's a part that I'm seeing that I like. And she walked out like thrilled that she had gotten 35 little pieces for oh, her ceramics. So I'm sure. And this is what happens. This is what I know <laughs> as collectors, when we used to own the stores and stuff, we, um, we bought DMC embroidery floss and I had it. We opened our store when Sarah was six months old and she's 45. And it was in these, those DMC cabinets and we had every single color and there were 40, 40 cabinets filled with floss. And I carried those around for 40 years, right? And I, I'd use a little piece of floss every once in a while. And I kept thinking, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to get rid of this. And then right before, about a year before COVID, a store opened downtown in Salt Lake that um, taught art classes to children at the libraries in Salt Lake City. So I put all those boxes in the back of the trunk, in the back of the truck, and took them down there and donated them. And they were so excited, right? And I hadn't opened one of those drawers for 15 years. And it wasn't three days later. I had a million ideas of things that I could do. So, oh my gosh. Like so I, had, I had to go buy all new. I'm like, <laughs> oh my hell. Because once you start moving it and giving it away, it's all of those ideas rush to the foreground, you know, or to the forefront. Oh, and I know. Think, oh, I, it is so painful. I have to say getting rid of it is so painful. That's where I am. That's exactly <laughs> where I am right now. I have so... Tomorrow I close in the building. I have been having people help me because to get rid of things and to figure out what I don't want. I mean, I have so many things for setting up booths and doing spaces, but the nostalgia part, the attachment. <laughs> well, they're your scrapbooks. Well, yeah, I have like, I've been, I have, so many large papers from all over the world, whether they're embroidered or screen printed or woven or, and I've been get like, we have these little packets that I'm sending to art stores uh -huh. to see if they want them. But I have so much stuff like that. And it's like, oh, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to let them go, but I can't bring everything with me. And it, it totally, when you're a collector, <laughs> you can get attached to the littlest button and like <laughs> it can make you swoon. And you're like, totally. <laughs> and you're like, and so a million times a day, I mean, I have to say, I kind of want to cry a lot every day because I also have like, you know, my, when my mother passed away, she had all these things and, you know, they're, little pieces and little parts remind you of people and I'm like oh I can't get rid of that that was my mom's oh I can't get rid of that I have so much stuff from my mom I have a room full and it's like I I it really pulls on my heartstrings you know for and it's like how much do I need for my mom I wear her ring every day 
you know, but like, how much do you need? But all those little things are like, oh, that was when I was when I was a little girl. And you know, and even then, when you don't look at them, and every once in a while you're cleaning, you're going through and cleaning and sorting or looking for something, right? And it could be five or 10 years, but all those memories come rushing back and saving them that moment in time for me is worth saving it all those years to have those memories come back. I think they're priceless. So I don't know at what point, you know, my my family thinks I'm to the point where it just need, I just need to let go. And um, I, I, I don't think I'm there yet. It, there's I have, for example, uh, when you were selling those little frames, remember those little tiny frames? I probably have, you know, those filing boxes, those white cardboard filing boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably have six of those that are filled to the top overflowing with those little tiny frames of yours. Because I think someday I'm going to do, put photographs in them and give them to all my children and my grandchildren to hang on their Christmas trees. Well, that's right. That's what right? they're for, right? Yeah. And well, they're well, pretty what are you sure. waiting for? <laughs> I know that's what they keep asking me. It's like, Ma, if you're going to do it, can you do it now so we can enjoy it? <laughs> because they don't just want the frames. They want them all put together, right? They want the pictures in them. They want them all ready to hang and stuff. Well, right? that's, yeah, they might need to let that go. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it is hard because it's, well, when also getting back to when my mom died, she was a collector. She um, was an antique dealer and she did linens and things like that. And um, she made pillows and she made, and she had amazing stuff. She had amazing stuff. So I had to clean out her house and that was heart-wrenching. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to um, not put that on my kids. <laughs> <laughs> like I, in a way my downsizing will help them a little bit because it is hard to it's really hard to pass that on and have them deal with it's a lot of stuff well you and know. kids today don't want all that stuff they don't i mean they really don't they look at it like i say this is your great grandmother's and sarah's like well i didn't know her and i don't care <laughs> and i don't i really mom i really don't want that and i'm thinking you really do want that. You just don't know you want it. I can't have it. You need to take it. So it's still here. <laughs> and when I die, it's going to be right here. And it's all labeled in this box. So you knew who it belonged to. And she just, they both, both my kids just shake their heads like, it's going to be a nightmare when you die, mom. It's going to be, we're going to have to go through all this stuff. <laughs> so I didn't have mine priced. So that You're they, I, Christ? I do, because <laughs> I have some pretty valuable things that I bought over the years and I don't want them taking them to the Salvation Army. That's a good no. idea. That's because, a good idea. Because you and I know how much this little vintage frame is that's European and it's 200 years old. You and I know, right? but they don't know. No, they don't. They don't. And so I just don't want to be, I don't want them to be in, on the, you know, on the front page of the local paper that says local antique buyer discovers, you know, a box. Million of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
a three million dollar European frame. It's their inheritance, so they need to take care of it, right? No, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hard task to leave to somebody, and it's also hard to let go. And oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jill, if there was one word or thing that has kept true, that has kept true to yourself through the span of your career, what would it be? Um, can I do two? You can you can do six. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um I think knowing that it's uh that I always have to be have a vintage part, vintage would be one word. Um so that would be one thing that's kept me true to myself. Layering would be another um that everything i do in my life is about layering and using elements which to create whatever i do whether it be in space or in space design or in jewelry design or in putting myself together and when i get dressed um i also think mood would be another Thing that it's kept me true to myself, knowing that I like to create a mood and that I don't want to be, I want it to be a surprise, an element of surprise. Those are, is that, are those? Those are perfect. <laughs> I, do you realize, I mean, I know that all three of those words um, are true to you and authentic to your jewelry and what you create. But do you also realize how important those three words are to the people that you've collected around you? The friends, the family, the friends of friends, the buyers, all of those kinds of things. You layer all of us together, those who are talented and who are not, you know, the vintage, some of us some of us qualify as vintage now, right? So maybe not only are those three words true of what you create, but they're so indicative of you as a person and the life you live and what you surround yourself with. I, I, I hate this part of the podcast because it's the part where we have to end. And um, it's, these have become a treat with people like you because we should do this. You know, we don't get to see each other at trade shows anymore and we don't get to do those kinds of things. And I was thinking about this when I was getting ready for it. I was thinking, you know, all of us who used to go to the trade shows and used to go out to dinner afterwards or stand in each other's booth and hear the stories when it wasn't busy, we should all get on these Zoom calls and tell the stories and see what everybody's doing and look at your studios because, you know, we haven't seen anybody for two or three years. It's true. Right? It's true. Yeah. And, and I think that is the worst part of COVID. I mean, being sick is one thing, but losing the camaraderie and your friendships i know you're there and i know if i called well i did call i yeah. called to ask you to be on the podcast right it's like, jill will you help me please and you were right there without any hesitation whatsoever and um i think we all miss that it's been very very difficult that's the part i agree has been the hardest yeah because yeah. we're i think creatives are people person are are people persons because you spend a lot of time alone in your studios 
right? Creating and doing what you do. So you really do crave the companionship and the support of the community around you. It's, it's paramount in what we do. Yes, but look what you created. So it's still out there, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, we've all been lucky. I think it's like you and your jewelry. When you create something that really is good, when it's the best that it can be, and it's, you know, authentic to who you are, for all of us, it's timeless. I mean, Lee Stanley with her greeting card, she's been around a long time. There's a lot of us that have been here for really a long time and we're still doing good. I mean, we're still here. Oh, we're still here. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, Lori Siebert, you had last. Right. But she, what she's created and you're part of right now, and I was to the colory combo. Like, I, well, it's just interesting how people just keep reinventing themselves. Well, and you always have a million ideas. Creative people always have more ideas than they can actually bring to fruition, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. there's just too many. And they come at, at you at the craziest times. I mean, I carry pads of paper in my, everywhere I go, it's by my bed, it's in my purse, it's in my car, because everywhere you go or everyone you're talking to, you come up with an idea, something triggers something, you, you are never, well, sometimes you have a dry spell. It's not that you never not have new ideas. Sometimes you think I'm never going to have another new idea as long as I, I think, will. think that a lot. And that's <laughs> but I also think like the, like not having the trade shows and I know we have to end. There's a certain thing about seeing what everybody being in the air. Oh, absolutely. You miss because you're, some people are doing trade shows, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if COVID like marked me being smaller and more, um, it's more insular. I, like I said, I don't have as many people as I used to, I have very few. And um, therefore I'm like more in touch with my customers Right on the web, like, and that part I love, like the, the that it's really me giving to them. Right. Um, it's different than before. Well, and it means a lot more to them too, because it's different from buying it from the artist herself than it is buying it from the store owners or stuff that purchased it at the trade show, right? Yeah, I mean, I they like to feel like they know you, that, you know, they're, they know about you, they bought it personally from you. That means that takes the value of something um, to them emotionally and money-wise to an entirely new level, it becomes very personal. Yeah, I, I'm liking that part a lot too. Yeah. That's a really fun part. I, anyway. <laughs> okay, so all of these people that are buying from you now, and hopefully a lot of them will listen, is there a secret that not very many people know about you that you would share with them? Um, I'd say the secret is that if you think that I sit there and plan out what I'm doing, whether it be a trade show or like a display or jewelry, it's, I never put a pen to paper when I'm designing. What I do is I gather the parts. I'm, I don't, I actually don't feel super confident about my 2D communication. Oh, I did um, not know that. So I am not somebody who draws 
of their design. It, it all happens in my head and then kind of becomes, it's a collage essentially of little parts and each piece that you put in can change the mood of the piece. So I, I get to see it in real life. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't draw. I did not know that. All, all these years, I thought you probably sketched it out on paper of how it looked. Well, that's it ruined my image. It ruined <laughs> the image of what was in my head of what was happening. It would never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's>... <laughs> okay. So another thing I always ask, because this, I think is, this is really important to me, I guess, because I write the magazines and i think the most difficult thing for anyone whether you're a professional writer or not is to say something profound in very few words and it's why i love greeting cards and it's why i love quotes and so i always ask everybody what their favorite quote is because i think it speaks volumes about your personality and who you are and what you believe. So will you share your favorite quote or quotes with our ah, listeners? Certainly. It actually hasn't changed since when I had to do that in the first issue of the barns burnt down. Now I can see the moon. And what I like about that quote is that you take a situation that, that you're looking at the positive part of that situation, that it's horrible that the barn burned down, but that's not the focus. The focus is now I can see the moon. So it also talks to me about possibilities and um, it, it, it allows you to look differently. It, it like talks about looking differently at something that you wouldn't normally look at, which I think as a designer, um, an artist, a creative, that is like really important to see things in a way that you wouldn't normally see them and to kind of work outside the box. And that's what I think that quote is all about. Well, it is so you. And it just speaks volumes about your personality and your attitude and your viewpoint on life and your friends. And um, it has been an honor to have you here. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And um, I, I might I might start these Zoom calls so that we can all drink wine and, and talk to each other and be friends again. I think that might be important because I'm feeling a little isolated these days. I think because of COVID, when COVID was over, I thought it would go back to being normal. And it's not. It's no. not going back. Right. And so it's even more discouraging for me now than it was right in the middle of COVID. Yeah, because I thought I could see an end and now I can't see an end. So, so my favorite quote, Jill, for you and our friends that we've made through the years and our listeners is that I love you with a thousand hearts. Oh, so, thank you. You're, you're the best. And thank you for everything you've done for me. Oh, so many times over the years and for what you do for all of us women. I think that the little thing that you don't seem to get is how important you are for us and what a difference you make in our life because 
you you take our message and here we are right now you're you're allowing me to show who i am and that's just a really beautiful thing the only disappointment that i have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today it is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together to share our stories I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward, simply doing what they love to do, and that is create. Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review Leave a review, not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes, and take lots of pictures. Thank you so much. And I love you back. Uh, well, three million times. <laughs>